What does it mean to be a media manager? What are some of the core responsibilities you have in this position? Yeah, so I really, I work with, um, we're, we're, we're redoing the museum right now. Um, that larger effort is called transformation. So uh, that's all of our exhibits and we're either being refreshed or we're putting in new exhibits. So we're either updating maybe a previous digital interactive or video, kind of refreshing it for the new gallery, or we're starting from uh, scratch, entirely new concepts and taking it from uh, you know, a Word document to uh, with a description, basic description to storyboards, to drafts, uh, testing them with visitors, and then eventually getting these installed in the galleries. And right now we're in the fabrication phase of the first half of the building, the West End. So I have not yet had um, the pieces that are part of this project uh, actually installed and, and being used yet. We're over, over a year away from the first of those kind of being available. Uh, and I'm already three years in, so um, they take a lot of time and uh, I am, I've got about 200 pieces, give or take, uh, under my purview. So a lot of people are involved to you know, make this happen. What did your career path look like? Is this where you thought you would see yourself when you started? Is this position your goal or just another step in your career? Good questions. Uh, so I started out in, uh, I got a master's in museum studies from the University of Leicester. And as part of that, I did an internship uh, to fulfill my degree requirements at the Natural History Museum here in DC and graduated from there to an independent contractor working on different uh, digital projects to eventually an employee of the Smithsonian. So I've been with the Smithsonian since I was in grad school, technically. Um, and I would say I didn't have a particular like end goal in mind. Uh, I don't know if this is particular to digital uh, type of careers in museums, but when I was starting out as an intern, YouTube was kind of new um, and the, like the social networks were just starting to really come about. I had used Facebook since my senior year of college, but in a personal capacity. So these were, I would say um, that I just haven't been able to anticipate you know, all that I would be doing because some of those things didn't uh, exist in the way they do now when I was a student. Um, what I started out doing at first was more website type projects around exhibits. And then about a year or so in, got involved with social media and natural history. I was their first social media manager. And that's kind of how I know Dana is that, um, I was around 2008, 2009, and we kind of didn't know who the social media managers were at the different museums. The Smithsonian is a big place. And so once we started to meet each other, uh, 
they were all just a really great source of support and ideas. And I found that being part of that broader community was so helpful as I was kind of charting this new path at my museum and there weren't really a whole lot of best practices at the start. Uh, and my current you know, position uh, is a really great fit for me. I was a social media manager for natural history and then air and space for a total of 10 years. And yet I've always been working on exhibit projects, apps, uh, websites. And so my current position is really, I see a natural uh, growth of what I've done in the past. Uh, we've got about four to five years to go with our current projects. So uh, I'm enjoying so much where I am and uh, there feel, it feels like there are a lot of opportunities to grow uh, within it. So I kind of, as I've gone along in my career, I've just looked at every stage. Is this an opportunity for me to learn and to grow? Um, does it feel like the right fit? And if yes, then, you know, continued on and really just, especially at the beginning, I would say I remained really open to the opportunities that came along. If there was a project that they needed, someone needed help with, I would volunteer you know, for that and uh, eventually built up enough that I could my plate was more full and I could say, you know, no to certain things. But at the beginning, I think just being open to opportunities is, is really important and helpful. Um, and now I'm at the point in my career where I'm not so emerging museum professional anymore. And I'm enjoying working with interns and more junior employees uh, who work on my team to kind of help them at the early stages of their museum careers. Yeah, and I think for now it's, the, I'm where I want to be. I feel challenged and uh, I love the work I'm doing. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what would come <laughs> next. Uh, this has been such a big and long project that you know, kind of the answer of where do I see myself in five years is still finishing up this project. I really want to um, take it all the way through and uh, get to the stage where I'm you know, evaluating how visitors are using these pieces, move from the, uh, the in theory, the concept stage development to uh, looking at the analytics for gathering, talking to visitors in the galleries, and uh, seeing what we can learn from from those pieces. What is it like working for the National Air and Space Museum? What is it like creating content for the museum? So I'd say it's a mix of exciting and the mundane, but it's never boring, and it really changes from year to year. Uh, Three years ago, I was finishing up my time as a social media manager, but I was also had already started working on these exhibits. And so one day it might be 
working on uh, getting some, a communication protocol set up to make sure that internal stakeholders and external stakeholders that that flow of information uh, was defined as it should be. And then the next day, it could be riding in a helicopter on the way to a family day uh, and gathering video uh, from a helicopter with no doors on it to uh, share with our social media followers and you know give them uh, some insights into that event. So it really can can vary, and like any job, it has its. Uh, more mundane, you know, everyday paperwork type of things. Um, and then mixed in there are those really you know, exciting moments where I realize I'm standing a few feet away from the spirit of St. Louis or the Bell X one. And uh, it's, and I'm kind of reminded of um, that this is more of a vocation than you know, a job. Uh, and I say in terms of creating content, um, I'm really aware of the museum's platform as a national museum and uh, the potential for everything we do to uh, inspire people, uh, whether um, it's someone who goes into a totally unrelated you know, industry or uh, a NASA astronaut, uh, the that this place has meaning for people. Uh, sometimes they have a very personal connection to the subject matter. Maybe they have a family member who was in the military or just loved to fly. And so I think I'm always aware of the power that, that we have and, um, and the responsibility that, that comes with that, um, especially to I think uh, in recent years to really think about um, diversity and inclusion and make sure that uh, when people walk into the museum that uh, they will see someone who looks like them. Do you work primarily for the museum in DC? How often do you work with Udvar Hazy? So we think of ourselves as like one museum with two locations. So I technically work for um, Posse and downtown. Uh, right now I am based out of neither uh, due to COVID, but uh, my office is technically downtown. When I was a social media manager, I was doing a little bit more back and forth, uh, but now that my work is focused on what will go into the downtown location, that's really where I would spend most of my time. And uh, we do really try to balance out, um, you know, internally when we're having events, we switch it up because we also have a non-public facility uh, called Garber that's in Maryland. And so if we're having a town hall, we make sure that uh, th that is uh, available to people at all three locations. And it's certainly gotten more challenging during our transformation project uh, in that we have 
now three downtown locations, we had to move half of the staff out of the building so that we could renovate half of it at a time. So it's definitely, uh, it was challenging um, when we were on site um, to just have to think about, okay, where is everyone? And um, pre-pandemic, we did a lot of in-person meetings. And so it was figuring out, okay, where are most of the staff and where should we schedule the meeting? And since the pandemic, that has certainly changed a lot. And I think in some ways it has made us feel more um, together, but also uh, I think has just you know dramatically changed how we're working right now. Yeah, I think definitely uh, mixed, but there are certainly um, positives from doing a lot more um, video meetings, and I hope that's something we will continue after the pandemic. What are the kinds of things you'd like to see to know if a project you are working on is achieving its goals? Great question. So that. I always think about kind of aspects related to uh, visitors experiencing it and um, how, how I define success there, but also internal aspects. And uh, the public, more public facing acts, aspects would be, do people enjoy it? Do they find, uh, if it's a computer interactive, do they find it easy to navigate? Um, is their take, main takeaway what we are hoping is their main takeaway? And some of that we can test along the way to try things out and see, uh, are, are people getting what we're hoping they will out of it? Are they getting stuck anywhere? And that we were doing through in-person testing before all of this began uh, since We've all gone virtual and the museums are closed. We've done some online surveys. We've also done what's called user expert testing uh, remotely. And that's with people who have a particular expertise through a learn, uh, lived experience with a disability. And that has been uh, a great opportunity actually, because we used to, bring people on site and uh, that could become a little overwhelming, I think, as a lot of staff wanted to be able to see uh, what the testing is like. And you can imagine if someone, if a whole group of people is watching you uh, do something, it can kind of feel uh, intimidating, like, like it's a test. And we've done user expert testing now over Zoom and that has allowed us in some ways better access to what someone is doing on a computer interactive and yet they're not uh, in the room with a whole bunch of people. Uh, so those are some internal checks you know, we do like with visitors along the way so that we make sure we're headed in, in the right direction. Um, 
I would also say that uh, I look at success and uh, in terms of internal factors, obviously on time, on budget uh, are really important, uh, but also is the way we're working through the project working for the people involved? Are there ways that we can review a submittal better? Uh, do we need to do group reviews at a particular stage instead of having each team member review it on their own? And on the transformation project, since we're doing it in two big phases, we have the opportunity, at least on the internal process side, to say what's working, what's not, uh, what, what can we do better next time? And there are certain realities of just a project as big as this one, uh, that there are some things that, yes, in an ideal world, we would do it a particular way. Uh, that's not going to work with reality, but there are certainly things that I'm learning um, from the exhibit teams I'm working with and making tweaks to the process to uh, carry better processes into the, the second half. And uh, I work regularly with a project manager. So I would say I do project management with lowercase letters and uh, she is a certified PMP, project management professional. So she helps me out a lot in looking at the, the bigger picture schedule wise and how all the pieces fit together in terms of the schedule and the budget uh, while I'm a bit more focused on the creative. And a few weeks ago, we did a two hour just kind of sit down, really carefully scrub through each part of the process on the first half of the project and say, what do we need to do differently next time? And we're going to do a session with the project teams so that they have a chance to have input as well. It's not just my uh, sense of how things went. It's not just how the project manager thinks things went, that everyone gets a voice in uh, sharing what they feel went really well and they think should continue and what were their frustrations and they would like changed. So it's a little bit of both. And uh, one of the realities that in an ideal world, this would be done differently is I would love to open, uh, put the first half of the project's media pieces uh, out for visitors to use and do extensive evaluations and then carry those lessons learned into the East End. And that's not the reality of this project, but we are doing a lot of visitor testing along the way that does give me um, confidence that we're learning things that we can incorporate into the East End pieces. Right. I think there's only so much we can test before uh, an exhibit is actually open. And so we 
that's part of why we plan in uh, Google Analytics so that we will have data as well as plan for in-person evaluations, talk to people, see how something's working. Uh, because our visitor testing so far has been with early versions of the pieces in a gallery that's not the final gallery they will go in. So there are just so many pieces to an exhibit that contribute to that overall experience that someone is having. And we can't test you know, all of those beforehand and make you know, tweaks to it. What are some of your greatest successes and some of your worst failures? How have these impacted your career? Sure. Uh, so I personally feel like if you learn from whatever you're doing, then nothing's really a failure. Uh, certainly some things work better than others. And there are things I would not do again, such as QR codes on uh, visiting aircraft that come in for our innovations in flight day. It was an experiment one year. We said, let's put QR codes on each of the aircraft that fly in the link to kind of a profile page on our website so that people can learn more. I painstakingly created the code for it's it's about 50 aircraft so it was a lot of work to get those set up get the sheets laminated get them onto the propellers of airplanes the day of and i don't think a single visitor to the event used it uh but that in the scheme of things was a fairly like i don't know how to describe it but we didn't really risk a whole lot. We tried something. It didn't, that wasn't the way that people on site really wanted to interact. And they're standing right there with the pilot oftentimes at the airplane. And so they could just, if they had questions or comments, they had the opportunity to just engage with that pilot right there who is really knowledgeable and so that was something where we just said, okay, we tried it. It was an investment of time and you know, printing out some pieces of paper and laminating them. And we will put our efforts into something else the next year. So we did, uh, we still created the website that had the profiles so that people could get kind of uh, acclimated to the event and who was going to be there ahead of time. But the day of was more focused on social media engagement, answering people's questions, and also helping people who were not on site experience some of the day through social media. So it was an experiment. It didn't yield the results we wanted. So we just didn't do it again. Uh, and I think what I've learned from moments like that is how to uh, refine my decision making process as I go along into future projects. So I could learn from that that we should be careful to not layer on an element to an in person experience that people might not want.
And that would mean that in that case, it was very clear. We just shouldn't uh, put our, our time and effort into that particular tactic. But it also has applications for thinking about maybe an exhibit label where mm -hmm. we might want to link people to more information. And that still, you know, that one example that didn't, that one experiment that didn't work uh, doesn't mean that we should never put a QR code on anything, but it does mean that uh, I do have a data point about how that experiment went and that will inform future similar um, applications that, that we're considering. So I think I've learned to just carry those lessons learned forward with me as much as, as possible. And in an area, particularly like social media that changes a lot, I also learned to let go of some of those learnings because they change over time. Mm -hmm. I uh, Recently, we were talking about putting a hashtag on an exhibit label. And I've been you know, somewhat removed from museum social media management for the past three years. And so I thought, okay, yeah, hashtags were a best practice when when I was managing social media for the museum. But now apparently it's it's not. People are not using those in the way they they were. So it's it's all just more information to inform better decision decision making on future projects, whether it's successful or not. And I've also learned that just because something is successful doesn't mean that we should do that again. Uh, if we were just uh, looking at, in social media, for example, retweets, likes, and comments, we would gear our content a particular way. But there are other markers of success, such as uh, are we showcasing diverse stories and contributions? Uh, are we giving people peeks behind the scenes because that's a priority of ours? And so the criteria for success can really you know, vary from project to project. How has COVID impacted your work? Has it changed the content you address or the manner in which you address it? Sure, so this has certainly changed over the course of the pandemic around this time last year, even through about June 2020. Museums were really focused on touch and will people want to touch things in exhibits? And I just sat in so many webinars and took part in a lot of discussions and uh, thinking about a future where visitors don't want to touch things, where we maybe don't want visitors having a lot of touch experiences. And if that had borne out, I would say that would have a dramatic uh, impact because we were looking at uh, more gesture-based technology and that is not as far along in some cases as we would like uh, it might have resulted in us doing more video content, more immersive video installations and audio installations and fewer computer interactives. 
or needing to retrofit our existing interactives. So that was certainly, I think, an anxious time in you know, museums for many reasons. Um, I think what has probably proved to be more uh, impactful in a long-term way has been the, uh, I think really awareness of systemic racism in our country that I think is having a more lasting impact on uh, the work that I'm doing and the content we're creating I think that just made us all even more aware of the importance of having diverse representation in our galleries, in the speakers we invite to you know, talk at our events, that it just caused a lot of uh, reflection on that that is uh, resulting in thinking in a different way about the larger stories we're telling also down to if we're picking, uh, if we're creating sort of a fictional character that is guiding you through uh, a video, for example, we're looking at that in, in a different in way and saying, okay, what is the opportunity here to bring someone in uh, who is not white, not male uh, as, is uh, there are certain areas of aviation space flight history where you just can't get around the, the fact that the, uh, for example, the Apollo 11 astronauts were white men. And uh, if we are talking about them, that's, that is what it, what it is. And so how can we also make sure we're bringing in other stories from that that time to really give uh, a broader and you know more accurate picture of the uh, large number of people who were involved in making such an event possible. So I think that that really started um, say actually around June you know of last year um, becoming more of a conversation and the certainly we're very concerned about uh, the safety of visitors and staff back in the building. And it has meant that I have only gone into uh, our, actually our Varhazi Center one time uh, since the pandemic began. I haven't been to the museum in DC in over a year. So it certainly affected things that way. And we are thinking about where it makes sense um, maybe highlighting uh, in one of our pieces, we're talking about how aviation spaceflight has transformed people's worlds. And one example is vaccine distribution via airplanes. But I think, you know, while that will be woven in where appropriate, it's not uh, had an impact on uh, the content maybe in the way uh, we thought it it would uh, a year ago. Last I had heard, museums were moving away from the touch displays and towards touchless interactives. Has new information come along to change that? Uh, yeah, I, 
I am not quite as up on uh, some of that. Certainly, we are prepared to pivot if we need to. But once the WHO, the CDC was saying airborne transmission is the way this virus is getting around the world, it's not about touching surfaces as much. Uh, That changed, I think. Our, our thinking, um, and we certainly we're do, are doing everything we can to make sure our surfaces are clean. But I haven't heard as much lately about oh, we need to provide um, styluses to people so that they're not having to touch the touch screens. And actually, for certain communities, uh, people with vision disabilities, for example, touchable experiences are really important. And even in the midst of uh, the height of that particularly scary first few months where we thought it was transmitted through touch, they were saying, "Don't, please don't take that away entirely. That would be just devastating for people who rely on touch as the way they learn. And that was something I really carried with me because we are making a big push with redoing the museum to increase uh, the inclusion uh, through our digital elements in, in exhibits. So we have accessible keypads that people can use that describe things for people with vision disabilities, uh, also maybe mobility disabilities, and they can't navigate moving around a touch screen. So that all just kind of continued. I think we we did the prep work we needed to do in case we needed to quickly pivot to more non-touch experiences. But we also said we need to to see how the next few months go. And certainly it will um, be something that we have to continue to evaluate as we open back up again. When we were open, uh, our, our Hussey Center for a bit of last year, we did just take our interactives off display. We just turned them off, put signs over them. and. That's something that you know I'm I'm less involved right now in kind of the more front-facing visitor side of things. Uh, so I know in the coming weeks we'll be thinking about starting to open back up again, and those conversations will probably pick back up as we prepare to have visitors in our spaces again and figuring out what we're going to do in terms of hands-on experiences. What has been the most enjoyable experience you've had while working at National Air and Space Museum or Natural History, and what were you able to learn from it? Hmm. Gosh, I, so I was looking at when I, when you sent this question, I was thinking about, um, the different meanings of the word enjoyable. And uh, I think sometimes what, uh, I think the synonym satisfying is, uh, was the most useful one for me. 
I would say the project I'm working on right now, the transformation of all the galleries is incredibly satisfying. Is it easy? No. Is it fun? Not always. But I am learning and growing at an accelerated rate right now. And part of that is because the project is just challenging. Uh, so there are the moments that are not so fun, but then there are moments that will almost like catch me off guard that like I'll see a picture of uh, an exhibit that is being fabricated. And that's where that video I've been working so hard on is going to go someday. And that just gives me the little you know, boost I, I need to say, this is, this is really happening. As much as I know it's going to seeing um, these exhibits start to come to life is something that uh, hasn't gotten old. Uh, I've, I've been at the Smithsonian 15 years this August, and I'm just as excited about these upcoming exhibits as I was about the Ocean Hall, which was my very first exhibit project. So I think perhaps one of the most enjoyable experiences is seeing all the hard work coming uh, to fruition. And I definitely learned something different about myself each exhibit. Uh, they tend to take a few years each. So, um, and my work on them is different each time. I've gone from an intern to now overseeing the creative development of all the pieces and having a team work with me. And that's been a really fun journey. Um, painful at times, but, uh, but definitely a satisfying, it's very satisfying to see something that I've worked on for several years actually be out on, on the museum floor. At, and I had that in just a small way with that very first exhibit. There was one interactive I worked on. Most of my work was on a web project. So it was kind of cool to see the screens go in, do the visitor testing, and then start walking past it every day. Uh, so I'd say, yeah, it's the seeing the exhibit come come to life uh, from paper to 3D space uh, hasn't gotten old yet. <laughs> what is the best thing about working for the Smithsonian? What is the worst? Uh, well, I think like any government professional, I'm going to say the worst has to be the, the paperwork, the... <laughs> bureaucracy side of things. The things that are in place for very good reasons, uh, but also can make getting things done a challenge uh, would be the worst. The best thing about the Smithsonian, if I look across the two museums I've worked for, uh, I would say is the community of museum professionals. I'm still in touch with people I worked with at Natural History and uh, see them as a resource and uh, share ideas. And that 
is something that I think not everyone gets in their career is that ability to continue to interact with people uh, who knew me as an intern, as a contractor, not long out of grad school, and uh, have seen me grow and develop. Uh, and just knowing that I've got people uh, that I can ask questions of uh, from from a previous job that I haven't been at in, uh, it's been eight years this May since I left natural history. And I think it was just a couple of weeks ago that I was in a meeting with uh, some colleagues that I know from that time. And we're uh, now sharing ideas about accessibility and making digital interactives more accessible to people with different disabilities. And, and that's just really fun. Uh, and then some of those people end up being people that live in you know, my area. I live in Northern Virginia. And so I might bump into them you know, at, at the pharmacy like on the weekend or um, you know, out grocery shopping. And so that that sense of community of a place where people stick around for a while. Uh, I don't know if this is still true, but at one time I heard that the average length of time that someone works at the Smithsonian is 20 years. So it's, it's the kind of place where people certainly come and go, but there is a large uh, chunk of the workforce that that stays uh, for a longer period of time. And that's something that I really value having as part of my work experience. And then there are certainly the you know, standout moments like meeting an astronaut or uh, getting to go behind the scenes and see dinosaur bones and things like that, that I think are pretty typical to working in the museum you know, field. And I certainly like those two, but but for me, it's the best part is the people. So I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to do this. I really appreciate it. Uh, this interview is especially exciting for me. Uh, similar to you meeting astronauts, meeting someone who works at the Air and Space Museum has been incredibly exciting for me. So thank you so very much for your time. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the thoughtful questions and the good conversation. It's always, uh, I think, helpful to reflect as you go along and, uh, and just think, think back to, uh, you know, how, how I've changed, because I certainly remember being at the point where, where you are, and uh, I had had no museum experience before I went to grad school. And then getting into the workforce, I felt like everything needed three to five years experience. And how am I going to get that? And do I have the qualifications I need? And um, so I, re I remember how that feels like a, you know, an uphill climb. Uh, and so I hope that um, some of my, my story is helpful. <laughs>